0: Today's Bible reading comes from Psalm 46, and this is the NLT translation. God is our refuge and our strength, always ready in times of trouble to help. So we will not fear when earthquakes come and the mountains crumble into the sea. Let the oceans roar and foam. Let the mountains tremble as the waters surge. A river brings joy to the city of our God, the sacred home of the Most High. God dwells in that city it cannot be destroyed. From the very break of day, God will protect it. The nations are in chaos, and their kingdoms crumble. God's voice thunders, and the earth melts. The Lord of heaven's armies is here among us. The God of Israel is our fortress. Come, see the glorious works of the Lord. See how he brings destruction upon the world. He causes wars to end throughout the earth. He breaks the bow and snaps the spear. He burns the shields with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be honored by every nation. I will be honored throughout the world. The Lord of heaven's armies is here among us. The God of Israel is our fortress. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: So I'm wondering, has anybody faced anything challenging this year? Put your hand up. For those who don't have their hands up, don't, don't know if you know, there was a global pandemic this year. Um, it pretty much affected everyone. Uh, look, it's affected and other things as well in life. Affected some more than others. Different people, you know, different challenges. But just, I'm sure all of us this year, at some level, have faced something challenging, something hard. Uh, I, I hope and pray that this morning, as we reflect on what it means to be with Jesus. And to be still in his presence, we recognise the difference that that makes in our lives, the impact that can have on us in the midst of challenging situations and tough times. Last week I introduced this idea of being apprentices of Jesus. That apprentices is the best, or apprentice the best word to describe the relationship um, of a disciple to a rabbi um, in the, the first century context. So uh, a disciple would really have three goals, that, that was to be with his rabbi, to then, in being with his rabbi, become like his rabbi, and eventually to do what his rabbi did. And so as apprentices or, or disciples of Jesus, it's the same for us. Our, our goal and our purpose in life is to be with Jesus, to become like Jesus, and then eventually... That leads to doing what Jesus did. He calls us to go and make disciples also. This was the process of Jesus with his disciples, not just the 12, but the many others he had as well at different levels. And this is our, um, our life as a Christian, um, or better, a disciple or apprentice. Uh, we've actually created this world where you can be, be a Christian, according to the popular definition, but not a disciple. And that's just a foreign alien concept to the writers of the New Testament. The word Christians used three times in the New Testament, the word disciple or apprentice 268 times. If you're a Christian, you definitely were an apprentice, a disciple of Jesus. And so we want to think this month about what it means to be his apprentices. Uh, Dallas Willard uh, who's a writer, famous writer around this whole thing of discipleship and the Christian life? Um, he says this, and this is the full quote of something I just did a little bit of last week. The first, whoops, here we go. This is the test of whether we, um, whether whether the click is going to work. Uh, we're good. The first and most basic thing that we uh, is this not working, Martin. That's me? No, that's, that's not it. Okay, you go back to the beginning. Took so much for the clicker. We'll get a new one. The first and most basic thing, basic thing that we can and must do is keep God before our minds. This is the fundamental secret of caring for our souls. Our part in thus practicing the presence of God is to direct and, con- and redirect our minds constantly to him. In the early time of our practicing this this being with Jesus. We may we may well be challenged by the burdensome habits and dwell of dwelling on things less than God. We all have these habits. But these are just habits. Instagram and Facebook and all the distractions of life are just habits. They're not the law of gravity. Thank God. <laughs> And they can be broken. All these habits that distract us from God. A new grace-filled habit will replace the former ones as we take intentional steps towards keeping God before us. Soon our minds will return to God as the needle of a compass constantly returns to the north. If God is the great longing of our souls, he will be the star of our inward beings. Amazing quote. Jesus commanded the Israelites to be still, that, that verse I shared earlier, Exodus 14 and Psalm 46, many other times, be, be, just be still. Jesus said, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, I will give you rest for your souls uh, to come and be with me and to abide in me. What I would like to explore today is how we do this and also why. Why is it so impacting in our lives as followers of Jesus, when we choose to be still and to be with Jesus. How do we do this practically and why? What's the motivation? First of all, um, I want to... I actually forgot the whiteboard this morning. I'm sorry about that. But I want to give you a bit of an idea of a vision for the life of an apprentice. If you imagine the four uh, points of a diamond... Um, This is adapted again from Dallas Willard, who actually had three points, but was missing one of them, I guess a product of his generation, but four points of a diamond. There's the effort God puts into our life, the effort that we put into our life of a disciple, the effort others put in, and then you might call the efforts of the world or the enemy, but just the hard stuff of life. So if you imagine that there's some things that affect our life as an apprentice of Jesus that are God's doing, that is the Holy Spirit. The God effort is the Holy Spirit working through us. And sometimes we look at something like the fruit of the Spirit and go, well, these are commands. We've got to try and love and be gentle and patient and all those fruit. But actually, Galatians 5, which lists the fruit of the Spirit, has one command in relation to those. And that is, walk in the Spirit. Keep in step with the Spirit. And then this fruit will come out. So this is God's work in us as we let him. Then there's the work of others in our life in Christian community. Again, we need to place ourselves in Christian community, but what others do and how they affect us is somewhat out of our control. Then there's the what someone called the hard knocks of life, the hard stuff that happens, the trials, the, the 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 difficult the sufferings, all of the things that just happen as part of this world and because there's an enemy to God, the spiritual enemy who is trying to, to stop us, who is trying to stop us growing in, in Christ and becoming more like him. But all of those are out of our control. There's one point left which is under our control, and that is the self-effort we put in, or as some would put it, the spiritual disciplines. Before, and that's what I want to focus on today, because we can make sure that we're, we're letting the Holy Spirit do His thing, and letting Christian community do its thing, and learning from the pains and sufferings. But what about the self-effort, the spiritual disciplines? First of all, there's a couple of myths that have gone around, certainly the Protestant church, for a, a, fair, a fairly long time. Um, one of them is, just go to a good church and you'll grow. Maybe you've believed that before. You ever heard anyone say that? We've just got to find a good church. Nothing wrong with a good church. Hopefully this is getting close to being a good church. But we don't just grow in our discipleship by osmosis. Like, oh, if, I just, if the pastor just preaches the word and if the worship's great and if there's good structures, then I'll just sort of naturally grow in my obedience to and likeness of Christ. There can be people who are part of really not great churches who are all over the place and who, are, who don't teach, and they can still be growing in their faith and having an impact on that church because they're connected to Jesus. And on the other hand, you could have the most perfect church in the world and never, ever take a step forward in your life as an apprentice of Jesus because you assume that everything else is going to do it for you. The other myth alongside this is this. Self-effort in the life of discipleship is wrong. And contrary to the gospel, that if we try to do this by effort, that it's, that's not the gospel, that's religion. Well, hear me right, trying to earn your status before God, trying to earn how God sees you and prove yourself to God is always uh, unhelpful and even detrimental. But to be obedient, to put effort into our obedience to God, to actually put effort into our walk with Jesus, is biblical. It's not against the gospel. To try and earn who God sees us as, well, that's already been given. He's given us our identity in Christ, our purpose in Christ. But to actually put effort in is not something that we need to avoid. And so this is where the spiritual disciplines come in. What are the, our spiritual disciplines? First of all, they are a means to an end. A means to an end if we go through life going well if i just read my bible enough and i just practice the sabbath right and i just go to church all the time and i just do this and i just do that then god will love me well then that then we've turned the disciplines into the end goal but they're actually just a means to an end and so i would suggest that in the life of an apprentice of jesus that spiritual disciplines are like the tools you don't become a plumber or a carpenter or a builder just to build a good toolkit. You build the toolkit in order to help you to do the job and learn the skills, right? So these tools that I have on my, my desk here, um, they're all different kinds. And when it comes to, let's say, being a, a carpenter, the saw is only going to come in handy to a certain extent. But when you need to drill some screws into the wood, this is not going to be much use. than if you've ever tried, um, or for example, balancing And I mean, uh, levelling out some, um, some wood with a saw doesn't do you much good. Or if you need to clamp something together, the hammer is not going to be very helpful, but the clamp is. Or if you need to measure how long something is, you could probably do it with a screwdriver, but it's not going to be very accurate. You need a tape measure. So all the tools have a slightly different purpose, but they all work together as a means to help you towards the end goal, which is, the skill you're developing. Likewise, with apprenticeship to Jesus, the tools, the spiritual disciplines, means to an end, are there to help us to learn and help us to be with Jesus. And they all work together. So what are some of the spiritual disciplines? Well, some of you may have um, uh, read a book or heard of a book called The Celebration of Discipline by Richard Foster. Anyone read that book? He lists a number of spiritual disciplines. It's not an exhaustive list by any means, but this is how he would summarize it. Um, We've got the next slide. Prayer, fasting, study, and meditation as the inward disciplines. Um, Then outward disciplines, in other words, inward realities that result in an outward lifestyle would be simplicity, solitude, submission, and service. And then more corporate disciplines, things like confession, worship, guidance, celebration. Now, many others would, would... Describe disciplines in a different way to what Richard Foster does. Different terms, different summary of maybe what the core disciplines in the life of a disciple are. But this is just one list. What I want to do today is, is, is unpack a few, uh, five, six, six disciplines which you might describe as actually collections of disciplines, spiritual disciplines, or something that goes, you know, more over the course of a, a number of others. But these are, for me, what are some of the core, the absolutely core tools that we use and that I use as an apprentice of Jesus, as a disciple of Jesus, to help me to learn, to practice that constant awareness of his presence in my life. To be with Jesus day in, day out, week in, week out. So, uh, you still with me? Let's go through some of these, these tools. And I'm not going to attempt to compare them to these. I'm just going go to uh, go through six of them. So the first one I like to call this, winning the day. Winning the day. What do you mean by winning the day, Luke? Well, what I mean is the first portion of every day in God's presence in some way. And so there might be other disciplines that come into this, but the discipline of just the first portion, winning the day. Now, some of you might say, well, what, why does it need to be the morning? Why does it need to be the first thing? Why can't I, you know, it's crazy in the morning. I've got space at lunchtime. Or, or, or I really the night time is when I have some peace and quiet to spend time with God. And those things are very important as well. But I, I believe this is important, the first portion of a day, because of the principle... Of giving the first to god it 's similar to the principle of the tithe. The tithe is not just about giving ten percent of your income to God through the work of the work of the church work of ministry it 's it's about giving your first to God, the first of what we earn, the first ten percent, so that rather than living off one hundred percent and and it 's all just using everything we have and maybe giving a bit as we're able. Um, we instead give the first to God that he says, "Look, thank you. that belongs to me. I will bless you in the rest of it." So in live, instead of living off 100 percent, we live off of 90 percent, but it's under God's blessing and, under, and using it for God's purposes. In the same way as we use our time, I think that, uh, in the same way I think the way we use our time, that principle applies. We give the first to God, and it aligns us for the rest of the day. I, I know that when I do this. I go, the rest of the day, I'm more in tune with what God actually wants me to spend my time on. And when I don't do this, I get to the end of the day and I look back and I go, man, I didn't win the day today and all of the rest was just higgledy-piggledy. I wasn't really aligned with what God wanted for me today. And so even though I thought I was recapturing some time at the beginning, I actually lost most of the day because I wasted it. Instead, when I win the day, the rest is aligned with God and what God wants of me. The same principle applies for the second discipline, which I think is cool, and that's the Sabbath. If you're not familiar, the idea of Sabbath is that we give one day, the first day of the week, to honor God, to honor each other, to celebrate, to relax, essentially to hand everything over to God just for 24 hours and say, God, there's stuff to do. And there's only six days left in the rest of this week if I cut this all out for you. But I trust that you have everything in control. And so for now, I'm just going to leave it and I'm going to rest and I'm going to spend time with family and I'm going to spend time doing things that honor you and the people around me um, and what you're doing in my life. Um, I would say Karen and I have probably tried to, to get this right for six or seven years Um, the last six or seven years trying to work out how do we sabbath well how do we not just use it to pick up on the things that we 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 are left behind during the week Um, not just it's it's not for kids sport or or catching up on jobs around the house or the normal things of life it's just to drop everything and to rest and i reckon we're probably i don't know what you'd say Karen probably 70% there like seven if, if that okay I was trying to be optimistic we're getting there but seven probably six or seven years of just practicing this sometimes we get it right sometimes we get it wrong uh, but just actually and, and what we, we've just shifted our rhythm a little bit now what we do now is on a Friday night one of those disciplines within that called celebration and Uh, We we gather people on a Friday night just for a meal. So that means on Friday, it's a day to to clean the house up a bit and get a few things prepared for the weekend so that from Friday night at about 5 p.m., people come around. We enjoy food. We enjoy good company. And that kicks off a 24-hour period of just dropping everything. Then Saturday morning, if the house was turned upside down by the crew the last night, oh, well, we'll get to that Saturday night. We just relax, we take the kids out and do something fun in the morning, hopefully put them down for a nap in the afternoon, <laughs> if, if, if that happens, <laughs> and just enjoy the day. Um, the third one, in terms of spiritual disciplines, I, I, I would highlight as a core thing would be prayer and fasting, in particular the prayer with fasting. Uh, anybody enjoy Fasting. No one. <laughs> it's not, this is not an easy one by any means. I, um, on, on my sabbatical, I took one period of 21 days and did a partial fast. So I was still able to eat um, and, and plenty of food, but just cut out a whole heap of things out of a diet. That's one way you can do fasting. And um, it was, I tell you, it was painful. I mean, five or six days in, there's leg cramps. The next few days, there's headaches. It's, uh, and it wasn't that it was actually unhealthy for my body. It was probably good for my body. Um, but that wasn't the point. The point was that this was a time of going, God, what I usually rely on for sustenance and nourishment, I'm just putting aside for a little while and I'm going, God, I need, I need you. And the way that fasting, whether it just be a meal at one point every single week um, or whether it be every now and then over the course of a year, it helps us to go, okay, God, there's so many things I trust in aside from you. Right now, I just want to trust completely in you. And the way God speaks during that time and the way we, we're able to sense God's presence at a greater level um, is, is so important to our walk as disciples of Jesus. Another couple I think are essential are corporate worship and close Christian community. Um, corporate worship, uh, you know, Sunday morning here, um, I must admit that when we go on holidays, and um, you know, usually during that time, we do step away from the billabong and take some time away, it's, it's so easy to just go, oh, awesome to have a Sunday off, <laughs> but it's one of those things that over the years, we've built such a belief that... This is something that resets our mind on the things of God because the people in the Christian community around us bring a different perspective and help us see uh, the, the ways and the things of God in a different way. So doing that every single Sunday is just so central to constantly walking with Jesus. Just a, just a song or just a conversation with someone afterwards or something in the message or the Bible reading that we would miss if we just go and watch a podcast or or just chill out in that morning. I think corporate worship is one of those disciplines, along with everything else, not on its own, but along with all the other tools, really helps us. Along with then close community, stuff like life groups or or a few people who you get together with and read the Bible with. Because it's very easy when we uh, pray on our own or when we gather with a 100 odd people in a setting like this, to not be transparent and to not be kind of open with our hearts. You can come to church every single week. Again, a good discipline, a good tool. But you can come to church every single week and people don't know what's really going on in here because it's a big setting. But when you gather with a few people who are going to ask you, hey, well, what's going on in your life? How can I pray for you? What's, what's, what are the things you're struggling with right now? Then the stuff in our heart is, is challenged a little bit to come out. It means we've got to be transparent It means we are um, lifted up by others as they pray for us. It means we are accountable. That's a tough word, right? Accountability. Sometimes a bit of a dirty word even in the church. Accountability to each other. but so important as a discipline as we learn to walk with Jesus. And finally... Silence and stillness. Now, you might say this is one that fits across all of the things I've just said rather than just the discipline on its own. Um, But probably of all of the things I've mentioned, silence, stillness is so essential because it stops us from filling Sabbath and morning time with God winning the day and prayer and fasting and corporate worship and close community. It stops us from just filling that stuff with more noise like more you know sermons or worship music or conversations and just stuff 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 you know more 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 it forces us just to stop and go okay everything else is just aside for a minute so that we can allow god to speak for us to be with god and him to be with us i've found it interesting that last week as i introduced this idea of discipleship and apprenticeship the verse of the day was about making disciples. This morning, as I prepared my heart to preach on being with Jesus, the verse of the day was, Abide in me, and I'll abide in you. I said, remain in me, Jesus says, and this is an amazing promise. I will remain in you. What a promise that as we remain in Jesus, he remains in us. He sticks close to us. He'll never leave us when we choose to stick with him. I, um, I struggle, though, to be still. I struggle to sit still, let alone to be still in my mind. Anybody else? Yep. Wow, you are some holy people. I tell you what, all the rest of you don't struggle with this. Um, Let me just skip over it quickly anyway, for those three of you who do struggle with this. um, Jesus was always withdrawing and retreating so that he could get away from distraction. Let me read a couple of verses. Matthew 14, 23, after he'd sent the crowds away, he went up onto the mountain by himself to pray, and when it was evening, he was there alone. Mark 6.46, after bidding them farewell, he left for the mountain to pray. Luke 6.12, it was at that time he went off to the mountain to pray and spent the whole night in prayer to God. Mark 1.35, in the early morning while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went away to a secluded place and was praying there. Luke 5.16, Jesus himself would often slip away to the wilderness to pray pray. Uh, Luke nine eighteen. one day Jesus left the crowds to pray alone. Only his disciples were with him. And Ma- Matthew 26, 36, then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane and he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there to pray. Jesus was always retreating and getting away so that anything that could distract him was gone and he could just be still with God. I firmly believe that The biggest threat in our culture today, in Perth, Western Australia, the biggest threat to our faith and our walk with Jesus is not persecution, not in Perth, Western Australia, in other places of the world, yes. It's not persecution. It's not fire-breathing atheists who want to attack the Christian faith. It's not uh, uh, political agendas that are contrary to Christian belief. I think the biggest threat is distraction and you could describe these disciplines as a combination of opening your eyes getting perspective when we don't have that on our own like in christian community but also closing your eyes getting rid of distraction instagram television tiktok anybody on tiktok your kids are Right? Your kids are. And it's training that. 10 seconds, 10 seconds, 10 seconds. And scientists and psychologists are, are proving how this stuff is rewiring our brains literally to the point that we cannot concentrate anymore because of the distraction and the constancy of everything that we watch and we take in. This is huge in our culture. And something that's beginning to substantially change my life and my walk with Jesus in a good way is this right here. You say, well, how how in a good way? I thought this was the distraction, Luke. Well, that's because this is the distraction so often. And mum gave me her old iPhone 5. Yes, it's an iPhone 5. The battery is pretty weak and it doesn't work very well. But I have this at the times when I need there not to be distraction because I can't get Facebook and Instagram and email and messages and WhatsApp and no, I'm not on TikTok, but I can't get any of that on this. And so when I need to be away from distraction, when I get home and, need to sp- and are there to spend time with the boys, before I win the day on my Sabbath, this phone stays away. And I use this one so that people who need to contact me can contact me if they need to. Maybe that's what you need to do. Maybe, maybe you're fine with, with your phone. Um, but I, I know I'm not. I'm addicted. <laughs> Hi, my name's Luke and I'm an addict <laughs> of all that stuff. We need to get rid of distraction. So just a really quick check. If we just put that list back up. I want you to um, go through each of these six just real quick and, and um, rate yourself from 1 to 10. You don't have to tell anyone. 1 to 10, how are you doing in each of these six areas? Just take a minute to do that. What I'd really love you to do this week is to consider what would it look like to increase your score out of 10 by one over the next six months? Not to end up at 10 out of 10 by this point next year. That's not going to happen. Sorry to to break it to you. That's not going to happen. What would it look like just to improve by one mark in each of those areas in the next six months? What could you do? To shift that ever so slightly. I said earlier that I wanted to address today the how of being with Jesus and keeping him before our minds, some of these practical tools, um, but also the why. What sort of motivation and underlying uh, purpose? Like, what's the why? the reason that we're going to want to be with Jesus and want to have these disciplines in our life? What's motivating us? I mean, it's all very well to say, okay, we do all this, but what's, what difference is it going to make, really? What's, what's motivating us? I think that Psalm 46 that we read before gives us the why and why I chose this scripture for today. And I want to I wanna just finish by, by explaining why that is. Uh, Psalm 46, uh, most scholars would agree, it was written around the... To, uh, around 700 years before Jesus. And this is the time that um, at, uh, King Hezekiah was, um, was the king of the Israelites, and the Assyrians were in power. Right? We read about this a couple months back when we read from Isaiah chapter 37, but it's also in 2 Kings and it's also in 2 Chronicles, the same story, where the Assyrians are in power. And the thing about the Assyrians is that they were absolutely brutal the Assyrians some say uh, the Romans invented crucifixion some say the Assyrians invented it and the Romans just perfected it the Assyrians would do things to the, the, the men that they came and attacked they would um, sorry to, to say this and give you this image but they would impale people they would skin alive and the stuff they would do to the women and children cannot even be mentioned here because it's so horrific that was the Assyrians, absolutely godless and brutal people, and a, and a force that brought fear across the known world. So you imagine being a Jew, an Israelite in that time. The Assyrians at this time are threatening the Jewish people. They're threatening the Israelites. You imagine being, for example, a husband and a father, in fear of what if they got to your house, what they might do to you and to your wife, and to your children. This is far worse than anything we could possibly imagine, and certainly in this culture, in this place today. The kind of fear and anxiety this would bring. Absolutely horrible. This is the context that Psalm 46 is written. The psalmist writes, God is the God who who, who breaks the bow and shatters the spear, and causes wars to cease. But then he says this towards the end. Do you remember the line? He says, speaking prophetically the words of the Lord, that God says, be still and know that I am God. I don't know about you, but if I've got the Assyrians on my doorstep, here's what I'm doing. God, show me what I need to do. Show me, do I run? Do I, do I fight? Do I, do I dig a hole in the ground and, and, and hide in it? God, how do I I get away from these people? Show me, God, what I've got to do. And God says, be still. That's challenging. Let me ask you a question. If God can say, be still, to the Israelites back then with the Assyrians on their doorstep, could he be saying to you, be still and know that I am God in the midst of your situation? Maybe you find yourself, like King Hezekiah, and go, okay, I've got a responsibility over these people. And God, you're just saying, let me fight. This is too big of a battle for you, uh, for, for us. God's saying to let him fight. And Hezekiah, he does the right thing. King Hezekiah lays it all down before God. You might remember we talked about this in the, our series on Isaiah. Okay, God, I'll, we lay it all before you. They're threatening us. They want to come and attack us. We just give it to you, God. And God responds. As Hezekiah does the right thing. Trusts God. Prays to God for help. God responds. Do you remember what God sends? God sends one angel. There's 185,000 Assyrians on the doorstep. And God sends one angel. One angel. Come on, God. One angel. You have a legion of heaven's armies, a legion of angels, and there's 185,000 Assyrians ready to do the worst things to us, and you send one angel. But if you know the story, what happens? One angel is enough that in the middle of the night, he takes out, the one angel takes out 185,000 Assyrians, and the Israelites are saved. I just feel like some of us need to know this this morning. That as you choose to give everything over to God, to be still. One word. One scripture. One conversation with someone. One moment in his presence. Just one. Is enough. For God to deal with whatever situation you're facing. we choose to be with him to be still it only takes one and so Father as we choose to be still in your presence right now Lord just give us that one word we need to hear that one moment Lord right now to know that you are God and that will be enough to sustain us before we sing this song and as we continue to pray. I just want to read some words, some words that have been on my heart, the words of a song, uh, just to help us to trust God with whatever, we're, whatever is going on in our lives. You can just close your eyes and allow this to be your prayer or what reminds you to be still with God. Be still, my soul. He fights for you. Be still my heart. He says he'll see me through. Be still my mind. Worry won't change a thing. Be still and know he's with you. Be still when strife is filling you with fear. Be still when life is bringing troubles near. Be still when there's a million things to do. Be still and know He is with you. Be still although there's things you're keen to try. Be still despite what you worry might pass you by. Be still even if you feel that you have what it takes. Be still and let Him guide you. The stronghold of my life, my ever-present help, The giver of perfect peace. The one with open arms. He calls me just to come and says, I'll fight for you. Just be still.